rising artists. And today we've got a special show for you. As you know, usually we're interviewing artists, but today we're kind of interviewing an interviewer. So as you can see, that's what we do. And so we're yeah, kind of so interviewing where we want to be. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, we got Jake Brown uh, on the phone, and he's written some books, and he's interviewed a lot of big artists, and we're definitely looking forward to um, picking his brain and just seeing where this goes. Um, who knows? So, Jake, are you here? Yeah. I am. Thanks for having me on. So how are you doing today? Oh, I'm well. I'm uh, I'm just working on um, answering interviews for the book that are written and working on a couple other. Uh, I always write two or three books at once, so I kind of jump around. Oh, wow. And so <laughs> I am uh, doing uh, – we're doing Freddie Powers, Merle Haggard, Spree of 83, uh, sort of a re – like an abridged uh, version of Match the Screenplay, which is in development right now. That book first came out a couple mm. years ago. and. Mm-hmm. I'm actually doing a book on my summer camp that I went to as a kid oh, wow. as well, Forty Legends, which is yeah. I finally got the I, I finally tracked the family down and that ran it, and it was open <laughs> 25 years, and it's a really cool, different kind of thing for me. Um, but behind the boards, Nashville, of course, is what we are uh, 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 talking about today, and that is my 50th mm-hmm. five zero published in 20 oh, years. Wow. So I'm quite well, quite congratulations honored that, on that. Yeah, it's kind of a love letter to my hometown. Um, I write the National Songwriter Book Series, too, which is um, really focuses on all of the hit writers on Music Row. Um, but this mm-hmm. is to focus on the producers. Um, and oh, wow. we really wanted it to be, be definitive. So it's got 30 of the biggest and most legendary, successful, iconic uh, country producers and of yesteryear and today. And in some cases, they were around in the 80s and are still around today. So it kind of, mm-hmm. you know, it's a pretty mm-hmm. cool um the, the people that were willing to speak to us. Oh, wow. Did, did did you get a lot of people that wanted to speak to you, or did you get some people that were like, I don't know? <laughs> well, you know, country's a really unique genre um, to most <laughs> genres. It, it, mm-hmm. Anyway, just from the record making, I mean, I, I, I have interviewed, my, there's two other books in the series that go back about 10 years that are rock producers, but I interview producers all over the genre map, and country has a very unique mm-hmm. pedigree. A lot of times you have people oh, wow. that come to town to be songwriters, to be stars. They wind up instead either being songwriters or producers or session players mm-hmm. and then become producers. Um, there's all manner. You know, uh, Tony Brown, of course, went on to be George Strait's producer, was Elvis Presley's last piano oh, player. Yeah. Norbert Putnam, yeah. who's in the book, who produced Margaritaville by Jimmy Buffett, was Elvis Presley's last uh, bass player. So just as one example, um, and, you know, you also had pedigree stories like Paul Worley, of course, discovered and produced Dixie Chicks and Lady Annabellum, now he's mm-hmm. Lady A, and the band Perry and Big and Rich. And he plays on all those records because he was for years a very, very pro- prolific uh, session guitarist, as was Dan Huff, who's in the book. So there's a lot of stories. James Stroud is a drummer who went on to do Clint Black and Toby Keith and Willie Nelson. And huh. So there's lots of stories of people that started out on the other side of the boards and kind of made their way mm-hmm. onto the production side of the spectrum. Huh. Uh, but that's pretty cool when when you've interviewed somebody and let's say they're not big yet, and then all of a sudden they just blow up. Well, in this case, everyone in the book that I talked to was already, you know, these are all the big yeah. wigs. So that we 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 really didn't focus on. Um, now, to be fair, uh, there are people who've come to prominence in the last ten years. There's like a, you know, we have the current all the current yeah. guys that are that are big, like Joey Moy and Luke Laird and Ross mm-hmm. Copperman and. And and you know uh, guys like that that do Florida Georgia Line Luke and uh, Luke Bryan's producers Jeff and Jody Stevens of course that's a father son team 
Um, Jeff Stevens, another great example, started out an artist, became a songwriter, and then became mm-hmm. Luke Bryan's producer. You also have oh, some wow. really interesting strain, strains in this book of people who have been with the artist. Kenny Chesney and Buddy Cannon have been together 25 years. Tim McGraw and Byron Gallimore huh. have been together 25 years, and others. So you, so in those cases, J- Jason Aldean and Michael Knox, 15 years and 10 albums. So you get mm-hmm. like... If you're a fan of those artists, you go to the beginning of their career when they were unknowns, and these producers take you all the way through not only how they became professional recording artists and superstars, but also the stories behind all of their hit songs, how they work in the studio, what the sort of quirky little behind-the-scenes ways each of these guys and, and women uh, uh, sing. Uh, it's just really mm-hmm. a fascinating first time. You know, this first-of-its-kind book. There's never been a book that got all yeah. these producers together under one roof. So if you're a country fan, it covers the whole spectrum of stars. That is really awesome. So as you geared into the country music genre, like you said, it's a little different. Um, What are some of the things that surprise you about the industry? Well, I've lived here 18 years, and I'm also a songwriter, a published songwriter and producer myself, although it's more on the rock side. But with with, Mm -hmm. with, uh, Nashville, I didn't start writing about country until about uh, eight or nine years ago when I started the National Songwriters. Before that, I was rock and hip-hop primarily. So my background was more in the general way that the industry worked. Um, Obviously, hip-hop has a little bit of a different corporate culture. Uh, Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's a little bit of the street kind of stays in the mix. But but in in Nashville, it's really – you know, the, in, in a lot of ways, it's the most community-oriented and supportive. There's competitive, yes, but the, these, this is a really a family town. It's prides itself on yeah. being a southern town that is really very welcoming and as cutthroat as the record industry is. You know, you have a lot more opportunities in Nashville uh, to come here as an as a unknown and get your foot in the mm-hmm. door, whether that is as a session player or a live player or a songwriter or a studio runner that works his way up to engineer and then producer. And there's a, there's a lot of accessibility uh, of doors here that don't quite open in other cities like say New York or LA as easily. And then there's also, you know, writers rounds. You can go out and network a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, normally when it's COVID nonsense isn't going on, I'm not demeaning the disease. <laughs> I just mean it's a, yeah. the backdrop of the shutdown um, has crippled mm-hmm. the city along with these, you know, the, the, we got, we got hit with kind of a triple threat this spring. We had the tornado yeah, and we got then tornadoes we had COVID. Yeah, then we had the protests. So all these businesses on Broadway where a lot of musicians that come to town and just are getting their foot in the door, that's where they start playing for the tourists down there. Mm-hmm. And then they eventually you know, make their way over to Music Row or they make their way onto a touring uh, gig or they go with a band that plays regionally. All of that has been shut down. So, um, But, yeah, traditionally there's a lot of unique ways to get into the business here that don't exist in other cities. And the cost of living is a factor in that, too. You can come here and yeah. a lot of times you have to have some kind of a day job, but it's a much more affordable place to have the time to go do all of the things you have to do to just even get those introductions made mm-hmm. and career, you know, sort of start startups going. Yeah, you know, when you're talking about the community aspect, I, you know, I, I learned that recently. Now, before, the, granted, when the tornadoes happened, I definitely saw the community there of what Nashville is really about. But before that, and some people would think this is small, but to me it's big. I remember reaching out to a Nashville friend. No, I'm not reaching out to him, but I was posting on Facebook um, asking, and really for someone in Savannah, and um, since we live here in Savannah, asking if anybody had a podcast mic that they would like to get rid of that I can get from them, um, an extra podcast mic. And, and I was expecting Savannah. And I said, a friend from Nashville private messaged me and says, I've got one, I'll mail you, what's your address? Yeah. Now, some people would think yeah. that's small. To me, that's huge. Well, it not only is it huge, but you have in this town, first of all, you know, 
with the bedroom generation of sort of in the boxes, they call them, you know, laptop pro tools, digital producers that can, you know, there's guys mm-hmm. in this book like that, Luke Lair, Chris Stefano, that can do it all. They can literally build an entire song from the ground up, but you also historically have a wow. huge, I mean, the best session players in the world live here. So by the same mm-hmm. token, a lot of the best equipment floats around here in the used market. So it's really a, a, a cool way to, to if, and that's what I mean. If you're new to town and you need a guitar, um, you don't have to go to Guitar Center. You know what I mean? You can you can go mm-hmm. to pawn shops here and get some of the best equipment in, in, in <laughs> the business. The be- no, I'm serious. In the best shape for the best price. Mm-hmm. Uh, best microphones, best interfaces, best outboard, whatever you need. Two, if you're like a new producer to town and you need to set up kind of a working, you know, uh, studio rig in, in, you know, a bedroom or in a garage or wherever. Um, mm-hmm. So that's what I mean. The whole town, man, and, and Craigslist here, there's other places that you can post. Mm-hmm. And usually there, there's a huge used music uh, equipment market uh, that supports the whole kind of community here that's new and veteran. That's really, you know, because that's one thing that we've noticed, you know, again, we're planning on moving there next year, and we've got so many Nashville friends, and they've all reached out so much as, you know, let us know if there's anything we can do. You know, we want you up here. You know, it's funny. We've got more friends in Nashville that stand behind us on what we're doing with our the Chris and Sandy show than we do local. We have, in Savannah, people are like, that ain't never going to work. People in Nashville are like, oh, that's going to work. <laughs> well, probably to be fair, Nashville is a pretty is a much bigger uh, music. Uh, well, you have that live downtown area there, don't you, though, in, in Savannah. Yeah. Um, but not like Nashville, but, but, of course. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that's the whole point. You have the Opry here. You have a lot of places that if you're a professional, you can come here and find work. I mean, it's extremely competitive, but mm-hmm. like it's competitive with the understanding that there's there's typically if you work hard enough. You know, when I moved here in 2003, I had a little bit of unique pedigree because I already had some books out and I had a record label and a distribution deal. So, I mean, I wasn't really like coming here as a, you know, and I wasn't trying to make country music, but I was told it's a five-year town. And for a lot of the people I know here, it takes that long. And so it's important that you have the ability to affordably live and make the relationships and cultivate the, you know, you might play on one session and get invited to play on another. And it just, it, but it takes time. It's an organic kind of process, yeah. definitely. Um, so. And, you know, I guess they call it a 10-year town now because I've always heard the 10-year <laughs> well, that's what it's evolved into with all these miserable condo buildings going up. They're they're raising the cost uh, of living and everything. I mean, it, it, I'm sorry, I'm not fond of them. You can't tear down studios that make this place yeah. Music City and then call it Music City. Um, yeah. But but other than that, man, a lot of the core fundamentals that make it Nashville are still alive and well. Um, definitely. Uh, so what's the difference in Nashville when you moved there in Nashville now as, on the good side? Um, it was cheaper and it was a smaller community and you could do, there was more houses on music row. There, all the tr- publishing houses traditionally in houses, music publishing uh, companies on music row. So you could kind of knock door to door and pass out your demos. And there was always mm-hmm. someone there who would listen to them. And there was more places to play live. Like there's Commodores and there's places that kind of took unknown writers on. You don't have to wait till the end of the night to get your songwriting slots like you do now. Um, there was less kind of corporate sort of, red tape than there is now but like i said it's still mm-hmm. a lot e- it's still a lot more accessible and there's a lot more yeah. here like for instance if you go to belmont university um you're really mm-hmm. paying for the internships because they have some of the most incredible sort of door opening opportunities through that aspect too. Yeah. tennessee you know and mtsu and other places and then there's also suburbs out here 
that you can live in, that, that you can get downtown if you need to. But, you know, with the digital sort of advent, too, in the time I lived here, I watched Pro Tools, and I watched a lot of studios mm-hmm. close. I used to make records at this place called Studio 19 that was this beautiful, big, 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 big place. And, and you know, they mm-hmm. tore it down to put a parking lot in for a condo development. Oh, wow. So it's sort of like, but there again, as people, as examples in the book, Florida Georgia Line producer Joey Moy, he talks about, mm-hmm. you know, being able to create an entire drum track on his computer that you, as far as you're concerned as a listener, it's live, but it's not. So <laughs> that eliminates the need to oh, afford wow. to have to pay for a big studio session if you can just do yeah. it yourself. Um, so the economics have changed because with less studios and also smaller record budgets because of less record sales mm-hmm. because of streaming and downloading. So that whole thing has really impacted every industry, and Nashville is no exception. Um, you know, yeah, because that's on that one of the big things is, is the money on the mu- in the music. Is not like it, I remember we, we brought on Joe Kelly um, on our State of the Music Business from in, um, podcast that we do. And he was talking about back in the 90s because he's, he's in the distribution of music. And he said back in the 90s, he said they made a killing with CDs. <laughs> yep. And he said, and and he said now really, it's different. That go until 2008 when Walmart stopped carrying um, a lot of CDs. I mean, that went mm-hmm. on for the first decade of the millennium, really, still even. I mean, now, you know, now is an example to get a, a CD press that used to cost you $900 for 1000 Now it costs you almost, you know, 18 So. It's just, but there again, too, you also run into the issue that, you know, and we try to weave advice into these books. National Songwriter's got a huge amount of it, but uh, Mm -hmm. this one, too, you know, the element that if you're trying to get your foot in the door, it's not so much anymore a walk around and hand out tapes like you're saying or CDs business. It's a lot more online and and EPKs, electronic press kits, and social media. And, and, I mean, I know a lot of musicians, but that's just the very last thing on their mind is sitting there on Twitter or Instagram (laughs) putting up a a video of themselves playing guitar. And musicians Mm -hmm. are shy by nature. A lot of them are more stage-oriented when they come out of themselves. And you have to – so there's a lot more of a team element you have to really have. You know, if you're moving here as a songwriter, and I can can really – speak as intelligently there or informed mm-hmm. in terms of what you need to do. You have got to have a team. Um, if you're not yeah. in a band, you've got to find a, a publisher if you can. That's the sort of golden standard. You have to have a manager if you can get one. You've got to find a publicist. You've got to find, mm-hmm. you know, there's just things that you have to have in order to get um, the conventional country music media to give you any kind of press. And on the flip side, and that's if you're doing it independently, mm-hmm. if you're trying to seek a corporate label deal, those are harder and harder to come by, and you have to have a managing. Now, the good thing is, if you're talented enough, you will find someone eventually. Uh, hopefully, they're not mm-hmm. a bad one, and that's why these books give advice along <laughs> with others. You need to get, have a good lawyer. Um, you need to be able to be, you know, you need to have those infrastructural things that you didn't necessarily mm-hmm. need to use to have so much right off the bat. Um, yeah. You can pedal CDs at shows and, and then sort of afford to pay for the next. I mean, and you can still sell CDs at shows, but now you have as many people that want to just buy it and download it. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's 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 definitely you have to be savvy on the digital side or have someone in your band that is. Or have yeah, because they can buy just one is. song. They don't have to buy the whole album. Well, and that's the other thing. It used to be an album-driven, and now it's very much a single-driven market. Now, that makes it cheaper to just go in and do one song at a time, and it's less looked on upon as a negative thing. Um, but mm-hmm. when people ask you if you have more material, you have to be able to produce it for them. And that's why the importance in this book is emphasized that if you're coming to town and you mm-hmm. want to be a writer, you want to be an engineer, you want to be a producer, you have got to be able to play an instrument, even if it's at a basic level to communicate your ideas. You have to be able to come and do songwriting sessions with your own ideas 
You have to be able mm-hmm. to, um, you know, really cover a lot of sort of wear a lot of hats at once, basically, you know. Yeah. So, so someone who's just lyric writing, it's really tough for them, huh? Not, not, no, not, not at all. Not necessarily. That's not what I'm so much saying. I mean, but like, for instance, if okay. you're a lyricist, you have to find a really great counterpart that's like maybe a great guitar player and melody writer that can't okay. write lyrics to save their life. But they might have and a great voice, could. and that's what the beauty is. Yeah. yeah, and this is a songwriting town, too, so that's the beauty of, of, <laughs> of it. If you're just a songwriter, you've got a home here. You mm-hmm. don't even, I know some of the best songwriters in the world can't sing a, a lick to save their life, um, <laughs> but they can write them. <laughs> you know, I mean, they don't tell yeah. you that. They're not commercial singers, but they can write their, they write number one after number one after number one. Um, so, yeah, it, it's not discriminatory in that regard. And that's what I mean. There's a lot of great teenings that go on here. But you also have to be be careful, too, because you can run into people that, you know, um, will, will take 50% of a song right if they just contribute like a, a lick a word. or a chorus or something. <laughs> I mean, yeah, so it, it, it's definitely you got to watch yourself. But it's a more open town to the – to welcoming people that are looking to make it than would be, say, L.A. or New York. And that's the other thing. Nashville, no matter how much they try to grow it, there's only so much downtown real estate. So you, mm-hmm. they're not going to turn it into Austin even or Los Angeles or some of yeah. these dauntingly Which large towns. You can move here. Yeah, it's a small town feel. Yeah, because that's one thing. Even though we've never visited yet, we'll be visiting in a few months when all this COVID stuff goes. But the, that one thing that we've noticed is, Everybody talks about, even though it's a big city, it's really a small town feel that everybody knows everybody if you're connected within music. Yeah, that, that can be true. And it really isn't that big of a city. I think Nashville's tried to make it that way. And, and they, granted, now they have more of a skyline, but a, the majority of that skyline is like $500,000 condominiums and hotels. So, the, so you still really like have the, the, the element of, of it shouldn't be as intimidating as it looks. I mean, Music Row is still pretty small. It's two streets long. And, mm-hmm. and then there's Berry Hill, which is a, another sort of subsect where Blackbird is and, you know, a studio. And, and I mean, there's, there's really two areas in town where there's music goes on. And, and then there's Broadway, of course. Most of the locals don't go to Broadway. It's more of a tourist section. But if you're new musician-wise in town, it's a great place to go make a living um, playing mm-hmm. live and meet people and network and get to know you know, there's, you're going to inevitably, if you're playing out in this town and you're good, you're inevitably going to meet people that will help you. Just a fact. Um, I, I've never, ever mm-hmm. not seen it work that way. Now, you have to work really hard and you have to be able to sort of, you got a job the next day, but you've got to wait till 1030 at <laughs> night to do your rider's round. Yeah. You've got to wait to do it, you know. Um, mm-hmm. You have to have reliable transportation. Uh, you know, some of those basics, the nerdy stuff. But, mm-hmm. but again, this is a welcoming place and people love music and the best players and writers in the world live here, so... Um, yeah, we, yeah, we've got a friend of ours, that one of the people that we interviewed, an up-and-coming artist, but she's also an up-and-coming producer, Justin Blazer. And I remember that she talked about the reason that she started producing is she got tired of um, going to a lot of the studios. Of course, she, she said not every studio is like this, but there was quite a bit where, as a female artist, you go in there and they act like, okay, what are you going to do for me if I do this? And so she felt. So she decided that she says, "Okay, you're going to treat me this way. I'll go produce, and I'll get the women who feel the same way I do." Yeah, and she, you know, I think um, she, and I think she said she reached out to like three or four of her close friends who produ- who does producing, and she said, "What do I need to buy? Teach me everything I need to know." And I think she said I, she went out and bought like ten thousand dollars worth of equipment to do this. And, uh, overnight 
and she got she said she got a couple friends to teach her everything that she knows, and now she's one of the producers there in Nashville. Yeah, no, I mean that's what I mean about the digital realm. She probably got a logic of Pro Tools rig, um, mm-hmm. and and within this, all of the plugins and all of the things that you can, you know, live samples of drums and different things. You still need to be able to play guitar and bass and you know keyboards and things yeah. like that, or have session people that can. But it, it lead players and fiddle players and dobro players and there's all kinds of sort of uh, toppings as they call them you know, instrumentally, mm-hmm. that, that, but that's what I mean. You can find uh, on gigwise.com or Craigslist, if you need a fiddle player, you can put an ad up and within 20 <laughs> minutes you're going to have a reply. Um, and and <laughs> oh, wow. every one of the people that are going to reply are going to be good, uh, inevitably. Um, especially right now, I hate to take advantage of COVID to recommend that, but I mean, there's so many people that need work that this is the time to do it. Mm-hmm. And if you're trying to put a demo together, do it now because everyone's working for less. That makes sense. <laughs> They're all home with needs of money, so. <laughs> You know that that may that's like you know we launched this show in January, which you're now our 130th interview since January 3rd. And um, oh, congratulations! I remember. Well, thanks. I remember when COVID shut everything down, and it's not that we want everything to be shut down. Of course, like you were saying, I was like I told Sandy, my wife, I was like, this is our time to shine. Everybody's home. No, everybody, all these artists that normally would be on the road doing this and that they might actually give us a chance to come on our show. And I really believe because of all this that's happened and a few of the connections that we, we have in Nashville, that because of that, we've gotten people on our show that we probably would not have gotten on this early in. Yeah, no, that's been a theme. I mean, I think, I think to your point, you know, too, um, you've had some, some traditions. I had someone ask me about this on a radio interview the other day, and I was mentioning it. Like, mm-hmm. the fact that the Opry has continued, even though the theater's empty, to do a nightly, you know, every week they do a broadcast with two of their two stars mm-hmm. play it, and, and, and they televise it. And, you know, the thing about um, a lot of that, I mean, you know, there's traditions here that supersede money. I mean, I hate to say that mm-hmm. there, there's not enough, but <laughs> there's a there's a spirit in, in that regard of live music that is always defined this city as much as a studio playing. And um, mm-hmm. a lot of the best studio session players start out live playing. And, and, you know, where they come off the road and then they create that live off the floor sound in the studio that even some of the producers in this book have still adhered to, like Byron Gallimore and Tim McGraw or Jason Aldean mm-hmm. and, and Michael Knox and, and, and you know, others. Um, Kenny Chesney and, and Buddy Cannon, who's, of course, Buddy Cannon is just an absolute legend in this town. Um, oh, wow. Thankfully, a lot of the people in this book are. But, uh, you know, Frank mm-hmm. Lydell and Miranda Lambert, I mean, it goes on and on. But it's an mm-hmm. important theme that these, that these you have to know how to, to read the light. In fact, some of these guys talk explicitly about producing from the stage. So Don Cook and mm-hmm. uh, uh, Brooks and Dunn talk about walking around the live venues. Paul Worley and the, any of the bands I mentioned he mm-hmm. works with, it's always knowing what the audience wants to hear and producing the records almost from that sonic standpoint so that when people see the live band, they feel like they're listening to the record. And, the, and, and you know, that's interesting because sometimes they use session bands, sometimes they use the live band in the studio. It really can mm-hmm. go both ways. Or it can be computer generated, and they have to replicate that record live. So it's really an interesting hybrid, yeah. you know. Wow, there's so much that goes on there. Especially the programmed like, elements. Tech, go ahead, I'm sorry. Uh-huh. I was saying there's so much there to learn uh, with them on, the, on that side of it. 
Well, 600 pages and 300 number ones and 30 producers as far as the book contains. So it's a good starting point. And, you know, the other thing that's <laughs> interesting with the program, mm-hmm. the program element that has come in beyond just saying playing a live set on computer is even if you have a live drum and a programmed elements that with like Country Girl Shake It For Me and Play It Again by Luke Bryan or This Is How We Roll by mm-hmm. Florida Georgia line that helped introduce that sound um, into country, and now it's just become a mainstream, you know, Dirk Bentley Black, Ross Topperman did. That was groundbreaking. So there's so, there's oh, wow. this really, you know, Nashville has had to, you asked about the last 20 years, what's changed. Nashville has al- also had to shift with trends of, um, mm-hmm. of of a lot of dance and R&B and rap and no country rap. I did Big Smo's memoir last year, My Life in a Drive, mm-hmm. Book of Smo, and we talk about that. You know, he huh. had an um, and Ray Riddle's in this book that produced his country living record, first country rap album on Warner Brothers. So you see oh, how yeah. the urban the urban element of that sound has woven itself mm-hmm. into the listeners' sort of expectations for a lot of what they want to hear now from Carrie Underwood or from you know anybody. Um, they want that dance element, but yet they want those traditional country pillars to stand too in the sonics of the of the soundscapes of these songs. So it's really a fascinating. These producers are so undersung <laughs> and underappreciated, and they work so hard, oh, wow. and they are they are so like. I mean, everyone thinks, oh yeah, a producer. It's like, well, that producer is the one most of the times picking the songs. And you like, like Tony Brown. <laughs> Uh, they used to listen to 3,000 mm-hmm. songs for George Strait for an average album. Jason Aldean, 2,000 songs. Luke Bryan, about 2,000 songs. Um, oh, wow. Kim McGraw, about 3,000 songs. So it's just, that's for each record. And, that, and bear in wow. mind, I'm talking about 15 of those, 15 of those to average 15 to 20 end up on the final record. Uh, so hmm. it shows you the competition level, too, of how much they're getting thrown at them from, from and they're mm-hmm. all great songs, you know. That is, man. Uh, and and just so you know, on every show that we do with the artists, because you know, I think this is one thing that makes us the main show really unique with the artists, is that um we always have the artists talk about their team, and they always talk about, of course, all the different people, including the producers, and it's amazing publishers. when they tell yeah. this, and publishers and PR companies and all that. And, yeah. and I guess and, we're and one of the few that do that. And I guess we're one of the few that do that because almost every artist that we tell that when we ask that question about, they're all, they're always like, I've never been asked about my team. Thank you. Well, and even to what I was speaking about earlier when you were asking about what you need to come here and actually crack it, and that's what you know. That's mm-hmm. why. That, I mean, it, it, in the you know part of the thing too that people run into. It's like anyone can put up a website. Anyone can put up. You know, that's the thing that's become kind of redundant about it is that. Any, everyone's got a social media presence. So yeah. you still have to have the talent to cut through that. You know what I mean? You still have to be able yeah. – I mean, you could be a great – you know, that, that's, that's key too is that there's a threshold in this town that has held up over the years of being the best at this or the best at that. And that doesn't happen just when you move here. That happens over years of investing yourself here and learning and learning from people mm-hmm. and the mentorships. Uh, we talk about a lot of those in the book too, you know, the mentorships of like mm-hmm. someone like Jim Ed Norman who's in the book and of course he mentored Paul Worley and Josh Leo who went on to produce Alabama and um then became a record label head himself and signed Martina McBride and others. I mean you have a yeah. whole kind of lineage of, of Tony Brown was under the wing of Jimmy Bowen. So was Kenny Ches uh you know, Kenny Chesney's producer, uh Buddy Cannon came up under uh, you know, his own people. So, I mean, you have mm-hmm. that whole tradition that's also kind of an educational aspect of, of Behind the Boards Nashville that gives you that backstory. You also get all the stories about studios that aren't here anymore, that developers wow. tore down, and, and, and all kinds of error that closed when the digital advent happened. And so there's all, you know, it really is a history lesson, too, on, on things that are still important fundamentally, but that 
that mentor element is so key and important to most of the success mm-hmm. stories for anyone who's come here. Oh, well. No one did it alone. So, and if they tell you they did it alone, they're lying. Clint Black is in the book. And he, uh, oh, wow. He's in the book. That's awesome. He's an example of a guy that co-produced this stuff from day one and really is an independent streak, but he's also a superstar, so he can. you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it takes a team, for sure. Sorry to interrupt. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, um, that is really awesome and all that. Um, it really does take a team, and that's something that we're learning as as we get to know these artists and all that. Very, and I'll be honest, um, when we first started the interviews back in January, I was one of these people that was a little hard headed. I didn't, if it has a process, I want to go around the process. Like if I know an artist, I always, I, <laughs> yeah, I always felt like, like why can't. <laughs> I know. I learned quick. I booked an artist because she was new. She just got a new PR and she didn't. And so she was like me. She didn't know I'm supposed to go through PR company. I didn't know that either. And so I booked her and I posted on social media. It was, it was in less than 30 minutes. I got a really quick private message on my, on my um, social media account. I mean, almost cussing me out. (laughs) And, um, and, and and I'll be honest, I was upset at first because I thought, well, I knew this girl. Why why can't I? I, I reached out to a friend of mine in Nashville that's kind of um, a mentor to me. And and anytime I have questions, he he. So I told him what happened. So he kind of says, okay, Chris, here's why. There's a process. He goes, what if you book her the same time a PR company books her? What do you think is going to happen? He says it's going to be nothing but chaos. He said, if there's not a process in place, then it, everything will just be chaos, and it will everybody will be confused. And he made sense. <laughs> and I was like, okay, that makes sense. But here's the funny part of that story. Now I almost would – if an artist doesn't have a PR company, I'll still interview him, but I'll be honest. I'd rather not. I'd rather go to a PR company because it seems like they're – trained them a little better for interviews <laughs> so it's almost to yeah. me and they and they send me four or five six at a time so I'm, i love pr companies now <laughs> yeah well pr you know publicists are important because they know the town mm-hmm. and and you know a lot of people are are not you know oh i don't want to pay for a publicist well then you're not going to mm-hmm. get your value or your money's worth and here's why Publicists are not only gonna gonna know where to go to take your album if it's a new release and what blogs versus traditional websites versus radio versus mm-hmm. podcast and etc are gonna actually be more prone to review it uh, or like your yeah. your podcast be open to taking your artist on but also they really are are there to to protect you uh, in where you spend your money or you spend your time or you spend your you know your capital if you have a deal that you're going to sign with someone they're just really invaluable because they know that landscape so well and 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 you know mm-hmm. it may even just be in passing of people they hear about come oh gosh don't work with them oh why well blah blah blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and you might be ready to mm-hmm. sign a five year deal with those people so I mean uh, oh, wow. you know, there's a lot of good companies here but just like there are good companies there's shady ones too everywhere this is the record yeah ones. um. So publicists are important. Managers, though, are really the most important thing. Um, booking mm-hmm. agents are important, but managers are probably for a new artist more than anybody else. A manager is the, is the key because they're really going to be, and not like your husband, 
You know, if you're like, well, female, yeah. I mean, I'm sorry. If you're like, it's not Tony, the truck driver on the weekend, that's going to print some flyers <laughs> up for you. You need, yeah. you need somebody that's been here, that that's, that's had luck, that's had bad luck, that's had artists that worked, that's had artists that didn't, that mm-hmm. know how to, how to deal with the negative as well as the positive. And they know how to really take pressure off of an artist for having to worry about certain things for the 15% they get. That's really worth what you're paying for. If you get a good manager, Um, they're going to know what studios that are going to be better to book you at. They're going to know what producers maybe are a buddy of theirs. that'll cut aside for you as a favor or an engineer Mm -hmm. or, or, you know, it just goes on a live venue, a promoter, um, an opening act for a more established group. There's a million examples where a manager is essential um, yeah. another essential piece of that. And that takes, sometimes it takes a couple, um, to find the right one, yeah. you know? So it's like a boxer with a promoter now, kind of, you know, <laughs> get you the right fights. <laughs> now, what do you think of this? I remember Brett, we interviewed Brandon Maddox years ago. And one, and one of the questions we asked him was about advice about moving to Nashville. Now, and I'll never forget something he told us for artists. He said, Art, he said if you're considering moving to Nashville as an artist, he says, Build your region, you build your local, then your regional base first. He says because the day you put your foot down in Nashville, you're going to be intimidated, and every corner has someone better than you. He's like, he's like, I don't care how good you think you are, every corner has someone better than you. So when you get here, you're going to be intimidated. But if you've already got that fan base that loves you, while you're there trying to make a name of yourself in Nashville, you'll be able to stay afloat because of those ups and downs because of the bam, of the base that you already have. Yeah, I mean, that's that's probably true if you're moving here for the following from somewhere else. But if you're coming here mm-hmm. just from ground zero, you're building a fan. Yeah. You know, that's why it's, again, important to have someone that can help place you in gigs where you can even pick up from other people's fans. Um, you know, songwriter. You know, and then again, if you want to do writer's rounds, writer's rounds are a mm-hmm. huge easy way uh, other than the time you have to sit there and wait to play um, mm-hmm. to, cause you start at the bottom. It's first come, you know, sort of like seniority. You, you really get time though to hang out and watch how better and more experienced songwriters, not even just okay. write, but also perform those songs. You get the network, mm-hmm. you sit and meet different people that are there looking for talent that might come up and approach you with that kind of intention of being a manager or PR or whomever. Um, yeah. So it's really an important thing to get out and network if you move here. You can't sit in your apartment and think you're going to, like, sign a record deal. Yeah. It's going to happen like that. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, or your yeah, studio, I remember, you know. Yeah, because yeah, I remember the, um, another interview we had recently. I can't remember which one, the person that said this, but he made a lot of sense. He said that, um, he says, if you're serious about your career as a country artist, because so he he had a different opinion of what Brandon. Brandon's was the opposite. He, his was the other way. He he said, if you're serious, you got you just have to move here. He goes, the reason is like yeah, you just said, you you have to be yeah. there to network. He says, if you're not here to network, it's that if you wait, then that means you're going to start. It's almost like starting over. He said, but if you go on and move here, you can start the networking, start that process, get to know people and. And that's where the and that's where things will happen is the connections that you make while you because he, he was talking about that after he moved there that was when everything changed. He says before that yep. he struggled, but there he got the, well, the right connections were happening. Well, let's say you're on social media and and it's like mm-hmm. hey we love your you know YouTube video why don't you come here and play oh well I live 300 miles away <laughs> well sorry. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe during COVID, huh, you know, but like yeah, it's yeah. A physical. It's a, this is still a boots on the ground town. You have to. 
you know, you have to come here and get your hands dirty and roll your sleeves up and go through all the things everybody else did. Because everyone in this book, as an example, had 10, 5, 10 Mm -hmm. years here before they were, they got it, you know, really big. I mean, it doesn't matter who they were. Um, even even as an example, if they came from, like, say, playing for Elvis mm-hmm. Presley, they still had to come here. Yeah. And Now, if you're Mutt Lang and with Shania Twain, that's an exception to that rule, <laughs> you know. But yeah. Bon Jovi, you're going to come here and make a country record to Steven Tyler. But, you know, uh, for the average, you know, so-and-so from Oklahoma or from, you know, uh, Memphis or any – well, Memphis has the blues. But this is really – you know, and then mm-hmm. the other thing you have here that's helpful – with you know Dave Cobb, it was a real honor to have. Dave Cobb is probably the most is like the Rick Rubin of his generation, and he's really responsible for revolutionizing the country in the last years of Sturgill Simpson and Shooter Jennings and Chris Stapleton, and um, mm-hmm. you know the Star Is Born soundtrack he just did, and 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 you know bringing Lady Gaga kind of to country so to speak, and all these things. And he taught you know he this guy is a great example of where Americana. Um, the ears have opened a little more broadly here. So you can be a bluegrass mm-hmm. player. You can be from a sort of outside of just immediately kind of the George Strait, quote-unquote, Tim McGraw traditional country, you know, lane, and, and, and come here and, you know, still have a career. And you can be a rock act mm-hmm. even and come here. You're not going to do nearly as well, but you can you can get a start here and it gets you on the road. Yeah. And, you know, eventually you're going to wind up out west. But it's – it's uh, so anyway, yeah, there's de- this is definitely, though, ground zero. To your point, that's that's really awesome. And you know, a lot of people don't realize it too. Because when you're talking to people, they th- they even though it's called Music City, they think it's Country Music City, and they don't realize there's a big rock there, there's big Christian there, so many different genres there. It's Christian is a country huge anymore. market here. Yeah, <laughs> huge market. And, and a lot of people don't realize that. In fact, I I think that's just like country. I think Christian was based there too. Well, Christian is the this is the epicenter of Christian country music from a business side, and mm-hmm. that and Christian music, and that's not just country. That's with yeah. a lot of rhythm tracks that you'd find on the dance charts, but um, mm-hmm. that that traditional hymnal kind of you know um, uh, traditional spiritual lyrical side of it's still there. I mean, you hear it in mm-hmm. grocery stores, you hear it in everywhere, um, and and so yeah, that's definitely here as well. If your aspiration is to be a Christian artist and not a country artist, come here. <laughs> Because you'll have a better chance of doing it here than most most other places. Atlanta's <laughs> big for it too, but um, oh, wow. and that's a great thing too. I would have you know, never, you know, never known that. Oh yeah, but Atlanta's like a four-hour drive. Memphis is a three-hour mm-hmm. drive. So I mean, if you need to, if you need to to gig in and around here, to because there's so much. You know, if you're like, gosh, I'm not really a traditional country, you know, artists, well, you, you have cities within three and four hours drive of you to gig at too. And you can be based out of here and sometimes live from that, you know, from their home of Nashville, Tennessee, blah, blah, blah. It's a really catchy mm-hmm. kind of, uh, uh, intro to that. Yeah. So, so definitely um, come to Nashville first. <laughs> as we come to a close here, any parting words for people and artists that may be thinking about moving there and how can they get your book? Uh, by the book. Uh, <laughs> you can get it on ebook. You can get it on audiobook from Blackstone Audio. At some point, when Barnes and Noble fully reopens, it will be on store shelves. You can certainly order it off the digital or off of Amazon and those places. Um, and you know, just I guess 
the National Songwriter book series, another one. But I really think beyond mm-hmm. the books that I'm talking about, even of mine, you know, just just read as much as you can. And when you get here, mm-hmm. go out and put what you read into practice. Even if it doesn't work once, it might work the fifth time. It might work the first time. It might mm-hmm. lead you down a separate kind of path that winds up becoming where you were supposed to be in the first place. This place is a barometer for where a lot of people are sort of destined to wind up. Um, and it gives them the time that five years, you know, or less sometimes to find it. Uh, but you're in the industry when you're here. If you're here and you're doing it, then you're doing it. It's, it's mm-hmm. just you can't be on the sidelines, you know. Yeah. You definitely can't be on the sidelines and you can't stay in the bedroom <laughs> forever. Those are kind of my closing <laughs> words of advice. <laughs> I definitely understand that. And, and we really enjoyed having you today. I mean, ha- again, this was a little different for me. I had no idea where this would go. I just figured we'd just talk and see where it goes. <laughs> Well, I hope it went somewhere useful for your listeners educationally. Uh, or oh, yeah. Personally. I, I like it. Yeah, it's def- definitely. Super. I well, thank you for having me on. get a lot out of this. And cool. we appreciate well, it. We look forward to having you back to... down the road. Yeah, and, and please keep featuring new songwriters because that's really important service you're doing with that. Um, oh, do you all will. play their music, too, when you interview them? Do you, like, feature a couple of their yeah, cuts y- on the show? Yeah, well, yeah. when we interview them, somewhere in the, about the you know, middle of the show or so, we usually play whatever song they send me. And, oh, good. You know, so, so basically what we do is we play, go to a commercial break, and then we uh, play the song, and we come back and talk about that song. Because the goal of the oh, show good. is, yes, we talk about their music, but the goal of the show is really to get to know them. That's why it's called Up Close and Personal, our tagline is I would rather know them as the person than them as the artist, because nobody else is doing You that. should talk to Charlie Bonnet III. Uh, he he uh, is a really cool country rocker, kind of mm-hmm. songwriter, veteran who's been here for years, and he, he's, he's a wise guy. He could, he could be both an entertaining <laughs> interview as well as an educational one, uh, just as a oh, wow. put that in your ear. Yeah. Charlie um, who? Charlie Bonnet III. Bonnet, okay. After li- Cause we we did Buddy Jewel the other day and he was a trip. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Charlie is a road dog, so he's got road stories and advice on that side. He'd keep you talking for hours, and that you'd never get bored. He's just a <laughs> super nice guy, and uh, super <laughs> strong fan base that follows him and would listen and all that. Oh, that is cool. We'll definitely have to look him up. Yeah. Well, awesome. Well, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. All right. We'll talk to you real soon. All right. Thank you. Bye.